The Bible reading this morning comes from Jonah chapter 1. I'll be reading from the NIV. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, to our brothers and sisters in Inverell, good morning and welcome. Great to have you joining us in this four-part series looking at the story of Jonah. Jonah is one of the classic Sunday school Bible stories, isn't it? What's not to love about a runaway prophet being swallowed by a great big fish and then three days later being spewed up on the shore? It certainly is a story uh, that frequents our bedtime stories quite often. The story of Jonah captures the minds and imaginations of children, but it equally captures the minds of adults as we consider the message of God's grace that permeates the story. Jonah only contains 58 verses, but these few verses include a storm at sea, 
the conversion of Silas, a miraculous rescue, a song of praise, the repentance of Israel's arch enemy, and an intensely honest dialogue between a prophet and Yahweh. It's quite fast-paced, action-packed. The core narrative in Jonah is the fact that God has a heart for the great city of Nineveh, and Jonah doesn't share it. A question for us to wrestle with in light of this message is, do we love what God loves? Furthermore, the reader is forced to ask, am I okay with God loving my enemies? Some interesting facts about Jonah. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets, which were originally all part of one scroll. And these 12 minor prophets cover approximately 300 years of Israel's prophetic tradition. The story of Jonah is, of course, made famous by the whale or the big fish. But Jonah is no more about a fish than it is about a worm or a vine. These are simply props on the stage not the star of the show. Jonah is the only prophet sent to a nation apart from Israel. He is sent to an exclusive Gentile nation. Unlike all the other prophetic books, which focus on the words of the prophet, Jonah focuses on the story of the prophet himself. The book contains only eight words of prophecy, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's actually only five words in Hebrew. This is possibly the worst sermon ever preached in history, probably the shortest as well, and it had the greatest impact. There is no mention of what the Ninevite sin is or was. There is no mention or instruction as to how they're to repent, and the name of Yahweh isn't even mentioned. And yet to Jonah's And certainly to the reader's surprise, they respond, they repent, and they receive God's grace. Jonah is the only prophet to be completely successful. The people to which he was sent to preach all responded to the message. And we see the largest number of converts in the entire Bible. Quite remarkable. The name Jonah means dove, a symbol of peace and compassion. His name represents God's mission of peace to all people of the world, including the enemies of God's chosen people. You might recall the dove in Genesis chapter 8 that Noah sent out, and the dove brought back an olive branch, and that was a sign of hope and freedom and salvation for God's people. And this is the name (laughs) that this prophet carries. Now, we're going to learn more about Jonah over the coming weeks. Jonah gets one other mention in 2 Kings as a true prophet of Yahweh. And Jesus makes reference to Jonah, the same account, but slightly three different ways in three of the Gospels in the Synoptics. And each time Jesus speaks of Jonah, he actually speaks of him in a positive light, not a negative one. Now, why are we looking at Jonah Is this just kind of a random scratch the head, what are we going to preach this coming, you know, four weeks and open up the Bible and, ah, Jonah. No, 
that's not why we're looking at Jonah. There is actually a reason. I have a strong heart and a focus this year, as I shared right at the beginning of the year, that if we're to be a loving church, then we actually need to live out the second part of that mission statement, which is knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. And we spent several weeks earlier this year looking at Peter's life and how through his knowing Jesus and becoming transformed by Jesus, he became an incredible voice in terms of sharing Jesus. And here we see again a story of someone incredibly reluctant to share the life-changing message of Jesus. What I love about this story is it's not so much about the actual message that the person sends or gives, it's about their obedience to Yahweh, to God. And I think there's an important message there for us. Many of us are reluctant to share the life-changing message of Jesus. We somehow need to get beyond ourselves and become more obedient to what God might be asking us to do. God's Word has power to convict and to change people's destiny. So I think there are a few important reasons for us to look at Jonah. And I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us, his people here at Arana, as we look at this book over the coming weeks. So when I look at chapter 1, kind of the big theme for me is this. Sin is running from God. Grace is God pursuing us. Sin is running from God. Grace is God pursuing us. You see, there are all kinds of ways we can run from God. We can run from His call. We can run from His Word. And we can run from His heart. I'm going to talk about those three things that we can run from. Jonah ran from God's call. God said, this is what I want you to do. And Jonah ran. We read in verses 1 to 3, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 1 begins with, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, this is the designation of a prophet. It occurs in the Scriptures when God calls someone, sets someone aside to be a prophet. It's a little bit like receiving the uniform and badge. This was not a consultative process. God didn't enter into conversations or an interview process with people. He chose those who He knew were right for the task. Oftentimes, they felt completely inadequate Maybe fearful, scared, not up to the task. In this case, Jonah didn't agree with God's assessment. He didn't try and bargain with God like Moses did and, and get Aaron as a spokesperson. No. He refused his role as a prophet and ran. But as we will see, God does not give up so easily on him. Now, why did Jonah run? Well, in order to understand that, we need to appreciate just who the Ninevites were. In verse 2, we read that Nineveh was great, meaning large. In fact, it was the largest city in the world at that time. 
It was also incredibly old. References made to Nineveh in Genesis chapter 10, shortly after the flood, where we read of Nimrod, Noah's great-grandson, who went to build Nineveh. Nineveh is now in modern-day Iraq, about 300 kilometers from Baghdad. So this was a very old, established city. Later in chapter 4, we learn that there are 120,000 people who can't tell their left hand from their right. Many commentators suggest that this refers to children under three. So if there are 120,000 children under three, then just imagine how many children there are three and beyond, as well as men and women. The point is that this is a big place. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were Israel's worst enemy. Now, in particular, Nineveh was famous for its wall. The city had a wall around it, 20 kilometers long and 30 meters high. Now, that's twice as high as your common telegraph pole. That is high. And on top of that, the wall itself was so wide that apparently you could have three chariots side by side having a race around this wall. Do you get the idea, the picture, of how incredibly self-important and powerful and prideful the Ninevites were? They saw themselves as the world's invincible superpower. No one can dominate us. We ourselves will dominate you. Now, Jonah is not at all interested in participating in the redemption of this particular enemy. He was keenly aware that if he went and prophesied a message of doom, there was a strong chance he would be killed. You can only imagine how popular a random Hebrew prophet proclaiming the wickedness and imminent judgment awaiting the world's superpower would be. Not very. And given the tension between Assyria and Israel, I wonder if Jonah felt that should he somehow be successful, that his own people may not welcome him back. At any rate, he felt his best option was to run. So God calls Jonah to preach a life-changing message to those who so desperately need to hear it. And Jonah runs. But Jonah is not alone. We too can run from God's call on our lives. There are all kinds of ways that God might call us. Perhaps God calls us to a particular vocation, the job that you do. Maybe you've been called to serve in a particular area. You might have a call to move or, in fact, to stay. It could be a call to initiate a certain project or cause. God might be calling you to something so incredibly hard, where like Jonah, if you go and whether you fail or succeed, there is a sense that you will somehow find yourself lost. Perhaps we might run from daily situations in the way we treat other people, in the choices we make with our time and our money and resources, We might avoid doing good out of fear or laziness. 
James 4.17 says, If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, that is sin for them. Jonah ran from God's call. We can too. Good morning, Shirley. Lovely to see you here this morning. Jonah also ran from God's word. Chapter 1 opens with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. In this case, the word was the call to go and preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites. Now, for Jonah, God's word is the call and the content of the message he was to preach. We can also run from God's word. Uh, We've got a song in our car. It's a Colin Buchanan song, and it's all about the Bible is not like a shopping list where you get to pick and choose, or a, a, a shopping aisle, I should say, where you get to pick and choose various items that you like and avoid the ones that you dislike. And sometimes we can treat God's Word a little bit like that. I'll take this passage here, but I'll leave that passage there. We run from words of Jesus, like Matthew 5.44, the command to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. We run from the Great Commission, especially the part in Acts 1.8 where it says, to the very ends of the earth. We can run from commands to show love and dignity to those whom we don't think deserve it, from those who we disagree with or find downright annoying. We can run from the passages that instruct us to show love and compassion and dignity and grace as God has toward us. God wants doers of the word, not just hearers. Sin is running from God's word. Jonah did it, and we can do it too. The worst kind of running, however, is running from God's heart, running from what he loves. And this is the main theme of Jonah. Jonah doesn't love what God loves. God sees Nineveh lost in its own sinfulness and sends Jonah to be his messenger. Unlike Israel, Nineveh is not God's chosen people. Rather, they are enemies of God's people. But his love is enormous. And it is God's heart that none should perish, regardless of how wicked they are. That's what we see here. God's heart is so moved. Isn't this interesting? God's heart is moved by the wickedness of the Ninevites. His heart is moved by the wickedness. Wow. His heart was moved to compassion, not judgment. Of course, there was a message of judgment if they didn't respond. But the message is one of grace. If you turn to me, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. So he sends Jonah, but Jonah runs away. Jonah wants a God on his terms. He wants a God who deals justly, his way of understanding justice, that is, with his enemies. But God's justice is a better justice than the justice of Jonah, (laughs) And God's justice is a better justice than your justice or my justice. 
And this is why the, the scriptures say, leave judgment to God. It is not our place to judge. It is our place to love and enable people to encounter the heart of a God of compassion and mercy. Why would a prophet run from God? What is fascinating is that Jonah knew God. He knew. In fact, he quotes back to God later on in the book. God's own self-identifying words from Exodus that he is a merciful God, that he is a compassionate God. It's like Jonah knew how God would respond, and that's why he ran. He didn't like it. He didn't like God's character. He didn't like God's nature. He didn't want a compassionate God towards the enemy. He wanted a vengeful God towards the enemy. And so Jonah basically takes away. He goes as far away as he could from the temple. The temple was the place where the prophets in particular would hear the voice of God. He goes as far away as he can to a place where there is no culture of worshipping Yahweh. And he goes as far away from Nineveh as he can. It is not uncommon for people of faith to leave a physical place where they've heard a message about God, about his love, maybe about his judgment. They know they can't run away from God, but we remove ourselves from places where we were reminded of God. And that's what Jonah was doing. Jonah is proud. He is self-righteous. He is stubborn and hard-hearted. He doesn't like the people God loves, so he seeks to disassociate himself from God. Now, this is not the first time this happened. In fact, think right back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. And they run from God. They run and hide in their shame. Humanity has been running from God from the very start of creation. The problem is, rebellion against God's call, word, and heart severs our most important relationship. The most important relationship we need. The relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our souls were meant for Him to be in constant connection and communion with Him. Sin is running from the heart of God and it ruins us because we were made for a relationship with our Father. Now, sin is running from God, but grace is God pursuing us. What is God's pursuing grace like? To the city of Nineveh, God's grace is confronting. Once the prophet became obedient to God's call and word, he went to the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Through Jonah, God threatened Nineveh with the results of her sins, destruction. Was God angry at Nineveh's sins? You bet. But his love for them was even greater. God's heart was not to destroy the city, but rather to save it and to call it to himself. God has a very gracious heart. And for us, God's grace starts with an awareness of our sinfulness, our brokenness, our corruption. 
God needed to confront Nineveh with their wickedness in order for them to repent and be saved. This was an expression of his grace. At times God might allow us to be to at times God might allow us to experience situations where we must be confronted with our sinfulness in order to receive his grace. Unless we realize we are in need of him, we won't reach out to him. Now, what about the sailors in this story? Well, no amount of spinach was going to get them out of this deathly, threatening storm. In one sense, for these guys, it was very much a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. The storm only came because Jonah was aboard the ship they were on. However, what initially started out as a life-threatening storm ended up being a life-saving storm for these pagan sailors. God was trying to get Jonah's attention, but he certainly ended up getting their attention as well. In their fear and their terror, they unsuccessfully cry out to their gods. Now, these sailors are pretty spiritual people. They believe in theodicy. They have a belief in the gods, uh, in a sense that the gods will punish those who don't do what is right according to their will. And so we see them crying out to these gods to no avail. And uh, they eventually then call upon Jonah. Now, they knew that this storm had been divinely orchestrated. That was their theology, their understanding of terrible things happening. Someone had upset the gods and we needed to appease them. So they madly wake up Jonah, pleading for him to call out to his God that maybe his God might save them. Now, the sailors are shocked when they realize that Jonah is running from a God. Now, as Matt read out, they already were aware that he was running from God. He'd already told them that. But they weren't aware that he was running from the God who has jurisdiction over the land and the sea. (laughs) And when Jonah tells them who God is, they are terrified. What have you done? Are you crazy? Who runs away from the God of the sea on a ship? (laughs) It is only when they ask Jonah what they should do that he offers any input to the situation. He knows full well that it is his fault. He knows that the storm has been caused by God. And in the end, through their confusion, these sailors end up fearing the God, Lord and worshipping him, something that not even Jonah would do. They make vows and they sacrifice to God. In the midst of Jonah's runaway escapade, in a storm, people are getting saved. This is an incredible story. These sailors have been won over to Yahweh and they start to follow him to make vows in the ancient Near East was an ongoing commitment to worship and to follow that God. Here we see God's grace at work in the storm. In what are ordinarily terrifying circumstances, God's grace is at work. Perhaps sometimes God's grace can feel like a storm. Now, at his own request, and after the sailors have attempted to row to shore, they agree 
reluctantly to throw Jonah overboard. There was a sense of not wanting to have the guilt of his death on their own hands. So Jonah gives in to the storm. Now, he doesn't know about the fish. (laughs) He is well and truly expecting to be thrown to his death. So Jonah sacrifices his life for the sailors. He has cut himself off from God. And in fact, this action is consistent with his theology of a God. His theology of God is those who disobey, those who run from God's ways, ought to be punished and ought to die. That was what he wanted God to do to the Ninevites. And so it's interesting that this very action of his is consistent with his own theology of God, of the God that he wants. What's fascinating is at this point, Jonah is more willing to die than he is to repent. Jonah could have repented. He could have sought a second chance. But death was more preferable to him. Dying at sea beats preaching to the evil Ninevites for Jonah. Well, Jonah may have abandoned God, but God did not abandon Jonah. He came to Jonah in the form of a storm, and this is what it took to get Jonah's attention. Now, let's bring it home. Maybe you feel like you're in a storm. Maybe, like Jonah, you feel like you're going down. You're going under. You can't take it any longer. You are out of ideas and maybe feeling numb to God. Maybe you feel out of touch with reality. Things in your life and your relationship with God are as hard as they've ever been. Realize that sometimes God's grace can visit us in the shape of a storm. His love might be like a storm with waves of mercy crashing over you. You may feel like you've abandoned God, but he hasn't abandoned you. He just needed to get to the end of you in order for you to get to the start of him. It's through the storm that God rescues Jonah from his own rebellion and delusion. It is through the storm that God can rescue us from our rebellion and delusion. Sometimes God may use hard things to get through to us. God's astoundingly persistent and unrelenting grace pursues the fleeing prophet and unexpectedly rescues him from his drowning. Sometimes God's love feels like a storm. But he is relentless Grace is the pursuit of those who don't deserve being pursued. Sin is running from God, from his call, from his word, and from his heart. And grace is God pursuing us. And you know what? He never relents. He never gives up. Whether through confronting us, breaking through our confusion, or taking us under, he never gives up on us. His love is relentless. His grace is persistent, and in the end, he delivers us from death. Not with a big fish, but through his son Jesus, 
who went down for us, who went under for us, whom God didn't rescue. There was no fish for Jesus when he hung on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died an undeserved sinner's death so that you and I could be redeemed. Sin is running from God, destroying and disfiguring ourselves. But grace is God pursuing us, even when it feels like a storm. Let's pray. Loving God of mercy, compassion, grace, forgiveness, second chances. We humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we often fall so short And yet we just thank you for Jesus, that in him we receive rescue and redemption, forgiveness and healing and peace and grace and salvation. God, might you work in each of our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit, impart to us something of your heart for those who are far from you. And may we not run away, but toward those, Lord, whom your heart beats for to see come into your kingdom. Transform us By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.